Y'all bow your heads, please. God, we just thank you so much, God, that, Lord, we cannot even comprehend what you did for us. But God, your wounds paid our ransom. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for waking up and having new mercies poured out on us. We thank you for your promises, God. We thank you that you've never forsaken those that that love you. God, we come to you this morning with open arms and open hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You know, I want you all to know it is awesome to, uh, as the worship leader, to be able to sit out there and listen to them lead worship. And, and I'm going to tell you, man, like, you know, I, I trip out on stuff like that sometimes. I mean, I do, just because I'm a control freak. I am. And uh, God has blessed this church beyond measure, which we're going to read with, with them, with Ben, with everybody, Amy, with all of them that serve on the worship team. I want you to know, man, that they, they do that for no other reason than to worship the Lord. How about an amen to that? All right, so if you, if you don't know this yet, I'm Chris, the worship leader here at this church. John, he's on, uh, I would say vacation, but he's out, of, he's, you know, he's doing his doctorate, and he's out getting a, taking a class out there, and, and he has asked me to share the word with y'all today, and it's always a, an honor to, to do that. And, you know, we've been in this sermon series, we're actually in week four of a seven-week series through Ephesians called How Do I Know God? And um, I've really enjoyed this series. In fact, I've really also enjoyed uh, leading worship through this series because I love the book of Ephesians. I really love it. And what we've seen, we've seen that week one, what is it, what, how does God, uh, we looked at how does God work, week two, we looked at, you know, prayer, and uh, week, week, Last week, John, he talked to us about being saved and saved by grace and grace alone. And I don't know, man, I've really, I've really loved it. So this is what we know. We know that around A.D. 53, Paul, Paul was on his homeward journey, homeward journey back to Jerusalem. And it, when, he was, when he was headed there, he stopped in Ephesus and he started, started the church. Of Ephesus, and he left. He came back a year later, and during that time, he stayed, literally stayed there for three years, and he was te- preaching and teaching. But he also established elders while he was there. And um, you know, in Acts it tells us, which I think this is really cool. You know, he was there for three years. So when, when I'm reading this, in Acts it tells us that he he got with the elders before he left, and they were man, they were bummed out. So we know through that that you know, Paul had friends. He was there for three years, so we know Paul had friends. And so this, this scripture that Tracy just read, Ephesians, it's, it's his prayer to the church at Ephesus. It's his prayer to his friends. I love that. It's his prayer to his friends. Yeah, a lot of y'all, if you don't know me, I, uh, I'll give you a little history on myself. <laughs> uh, you know, mom and dad did the best they could to, to raise us up in the church. <laughs> Didn't take for whatever reason. But um, 
man, I did a lot of stupid stuff, and I ran, and I tell, I, I tell people, this, people this a lot. You know, I, I, uh, I thought Jesus was a myth. I thought that if there was this, if God even existed, that he really wasn't going to dig me, and he was mad at me. And for years and years and years, I thought that. I mean, and I, I've come, uh, I, you know, at the time I didn't realize I was agnostic, but I was for years. And I did everything to, in my mind to disprove Christianity. I just wanted to share that with y'all. And one of the crazy things about it was I felt like, you know, I, had a, I felt like I wasn't worthy. And I know, you know that's, t- that's typically what the feeling is. But, you know, I, I made a lot of bad choices, had friends that either OD'd, friends that died, friends that are junkies. I mean, you name it, man. I mean, you know. And I was so ashamed of all that. And I went to this thing one weekend, and, you know, my wife was steadily beating down on me. And uh, I decided to go to this place. And I saw in one night the love of God in a way that I can't explain. In fact, even today, I can't explain it. It's beyond measure. I couldn't explain it. And it was in a dark room. And I had, before I knew it, I was on, the, on my knees, like crying, freaking out, you know, like not understanding how this was remotely possible that the God of all cared about me couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And it radically changed my life. And like that, I was a new person. All the shame, all the craziness was gone. Like that. That tripped me out in itself. That like one second you're this way, and the next second you're this way. Where does that power come from? Well, that's enough of, enough of that. While I was preparing for this, I got, a, uh, I got a call, and I got asked to write a letter to a friend of mine that I know that's in rehab. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And I, I started, started writing out this letter, and I realized that that guy, he, he knew the old me. That guy knew the guy that I was. He knew that, that person that, to me, is dead. To me, that person is, is new. But that's who, that's who he knew of me. And so as I was writing this letter, I thought, man, i got to tell him. i got to tell him. i got to tell him. So I started writing. And next thing I know, I'm telling him about love and how it radically changed me. And in doing so, I told him that, man, you know what? Like, this God that, that loves me, Like, he loves you. And all the pills and all the partying and all the stupid decisions you've made, like, guess what, dude? You're worthy. Like, I know you think you've made bad choices, whatever, whatever, but in spite of all that, God still loves you. I wrote it. I wrote it. And in writing it, I couldn't, literally couldn't write fast enough, and then it hit me, wow, what we just read. That's what Paul felt when he was writing that letter. I mean, I I was like, oh, my goodness. I I was so excited. I mean, I found myself, my music was rocking before I knew it. I'm writing, jamming to these worship songs we were singing this week. 
I knew right then what Paul felt. Because he, not only did he write to the church, but he was writing to some of his friends. He wanted them to know. Verse 14. I love the way this starts. Can you put that verse 14 up? Or 14 through. The, the beginning of this says, For this reason I kneel. For this reason I kneel. For this reason I kneel, I bow on my knees before the Father. That's how we start this passage. And so, you know, I thought about, what for this reason? Well, it's this, I love the first, you know, if you've been here through this whole series, you know, the first three and a half chapters are like, he's, man, he's spelling this out like, for what reason? Well, for what we just talked about, that you're made alive in Christ, that God loves you, that everything I just said, like, man, look, it's not just available to the Jews. It's available to you. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Verse 8 says some of the same things. And then he says, it's a gift. It's the gift of God. And so, see, Paul was so pumped about this. I mean, I hope you can see it. Can you picture him sitting there with probably his little feather or whatever and his little ink pen or however they did things back then? part of a camel's tail, and he was just sitting there writing. He was so excited about this, man, and I can picture it. Because he was like, dude, guess what, man? Like, you know, I killed people, you know, killed a few, you know, like God's people. What'd you do? Well, man, you know, I said a bad word to my mom. What'd you do? Dude, I killed people. (laughs) Okay. See, that's, but as he was writing this, I mean, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel why he was so excited made alive in Christ. And he said, for that reason, hold up, for this reason, right now, that's why I kneel. That's the reason I kneel before God. That's the reason I'm on my knees. For this reason, you're made alive in Christ. And I want you to know, John Hugh, myself, Jill, the elders, staff, all staff, We want to tell you, you're made alive in Christ. We want you to know. And for this reason, we kneel. By the way, I learned this this week, that the word kneeling, like to actual kneel in in Scripture, like that's not what they did back then. That was not their, their, their posture of prayer. And I, that kind of caught me off guard, but when you, you think about it, uh, if you think about the picture of the Wailing Wall that you've seen, know we've all, some of you may have been there on TV, but the, the, the posture of prayer for the Jews was to stand up and to rock back and forth. When they got down on their knees, as Jesus did in the Garden, Gethsemane, that was, that was something extraordinary. That was huge. That was meant to be like, oh my gosh, this is so big. Like, I'm kneeling. I'm submitting myself as low as I can go. In fact, you see most like... Moses with his head, like his face literally on the ground. I can't get in. I'm submitting because this is so big. And so when Paul said this, he wasn't just saying, hey, man, I want to tell you all something. He was saying, listen, you need to get this. This is so big. And in all humility, I kneel before God because I want you to know that you're made alive in Christ. And so that's where he started. That's where he started. He wanted them to understand how extraordinary it was for what he was about to say. 
Verse 16 and 17. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, He wants them to accept Christ. That's what He wants. That's Paul's MO. He wants them to accept Christ. I love the, the message translation sometimes. Check this out. I ask Him to strengthen you by a spirit, not a brute strength, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. The first thing I think Paul's trying to tell us here, we've got to recognize what God's offered us. You've got to recognize it. You have to recognize what He's offering. And it's, it's crazy. It's so good. Revelation 3.20 Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll I'll come in. I'll dine with you, and he with me. You've got to open the door. You've got to open the door. Number one, you've got to recognize what God's offered. You've got to open the door. So my question to some of you here today is, what's keeping you from opening the door? I'm not just talking about those that haven't accepted Christ. I'm talking about those that are knocking. When you hear Jesus knocking, saying, hey, man, you got a little more. I can, I can use it. Got to open the door. I think the second thing that Paul is, is telling us here is, You've got to spend time with God if you're going to get to know Him. You've got to spend time with God if you're going to get to know Him. Let's look at verses 17 through 19. And I pray to you, oh, right, and, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of of God. Spend time. We've got to spend time with Him. You know, when that, the, that, the Sunday after I accepted Christ, um, man, I was sitting there and like this dude walked, started walking up to me and he was like, you know, Goliath and he was real big and his cowboy boots made this sweet little sound. It's like, you know, like I always <laughs> wish I could make, but I'm just too city-fied to do that. And, and, you know, he had these blue jean overalls on and he had this sweet little white V-neck shirt that was unbuttoned, well, or the, the V came to light right here, you know? And the coolest thing was the dude had like six hairs, and they were like that long. And I thought, that guy that's willing to bust out that V-neck, and I, I, all this is going through my mind as he's walking to me, his sweet little hat, you know, and he walks up to me, and I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, right on. And you know what he said to me? He walked up. He didn't know me from a man on the moon. And he walked up to me and he said, Son, you ain't going to get to know nobody unless you spend some time with them. All right. Right on, dude. 
Where'd you get those buckles, you know? And he looked at me as if he knew what God was saying in my soul, as if he were an angel. And he said, if you want to get to know God, spend time with him. And he turned around and he walked off. And I have never forgotten that. So simple. So simple. I've never forgotten it. If you want to know God, spend time with Him. If you want to know your wife, spend time with her. If you want to know your husband, spend time with them. So simple, isn't it? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? You know, I love in... Um, when you look back at this in verse 18 where he says that you may have power together with the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You see, together with the saints, John Hugh talks about this a lot, that saints was actually just, it just meant the Christians with other Christians. So why does Paul say that? Why does Paul say that? Because when we're with other Christians, like you ever get with people like, and you feel that presence. When I was growing up and I was like, you know, I didn't much know this Jesus thing. But when I got around Dr. Case, my pastor at the time, man, something felt different. I felt a peace. And I was like, man, I don't even what, you know, I'm going to get a little closer. You know, it's like, man, but I felt something different. You've all experienced that, I know. See, when you're together with the saints, that's how we start learning. We accept Christ, but then with the saints, with other Christians, in your Bible study, here at church, in your small groups, you know, I know you know this, but that's what Paul's saying, together with the saints. It strengthens you. It strengthens you. And when you do this, see, and you start to get a glimpse of of how wide and long and, and high and deep Jesus' love, love is for you, like, it will radically change you. Radically change you. And, and when you start spending time in prayer, all of a sudden you start getting to know God in a way that you, you didn't know Him before. When you're spending time in prayer, you know, prayer is, we, John, he talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, prayer is so powerful. Jill was just talking, prayer is so powerful. We, at this church, we want to be a praying church. We do everything we can to try to be a praying church because it's powerful. And in my research this week, I realized I learned something that I didn't know before. Did you know that Paul, in all of his, in all his writings, and all his when he wrote out his prayers for his friends, did you know he never once, once, you know he never once prayed for God to change their circumstances? Now, what if you grew up back then? Can you imagine the hard times they were going through? I mean, think about it. Can you imagine what they were going through? I mean, you want to go to the store? Get on your camel and ride a long way to go to... I mean, like, the stuff they had to go through was crazy. And they were persecuted. They were killed. They, were, they had all these things that were making life just a little bit dif difficult. And you would think that Paul would be like, look, man, I, you, know, you need to pray for... 
I want to pray for him to, you know, he needs this circumstance changed or he needs this circumstance changed, but he never did that. Never did that. What he did was he prayed for them to know God better. He, they prayed for them to know God better. See, Paul sees a fuller knowledge of God as way more critical than a change of circumstances. Knowing God, knowing Him better, is what you got to have, is what I got to have, is what we have to have if we're even going to face the circumstances of life. I promise you that. Paul doesn't see prayer as simply a way of getting more from God. He sees prayer as a way of getting more of God. See? Prayer, I love uh, Isaiah 64, 7. Prayer is a striving to take hold of God. See, Jesus taught His disciples to pray. He healed people with prayer. He cast out demons with prayer. He, he, I love the way He would touch people. You see the way He would touch them and pray. He raised the dead in prayer. The night before his death, as we talked earlier, in the garden, he agonized in prayer. And get this, on the cross, he died in prayer. Prayer. Jesus died praying. Prayer is so great that wherever you look in the Bible, it's there. And why is this? Because everywhere God is, there's prayer. Everywhere God is, there's, think about this, everywhere He is, there's prayer. And so Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He's praying for his friends. He's praying for them to know God better, for them to have this abundant life with Jesus. And he's praying that a small, let them get, let them get a glimpse of how big your love is. Just a, just a glimpse, God. Because when they do, oh Lord, I can't imagine what's going to happen when they get a glimpse We got to kneel. We got to kneel before God. We got to kneel. First thing we got to do is we got to accept. We got to know what God's offering us. We got to accept it, recognize it. The second thing we got to do: spend time with Him. That's pretty easy. Spend time in His Word, in church with His friends, and then look in prayer. In prayer. A couple of years ago, I was, um, I was in Honduras, and I was asked to, to uh, come with this guy. And he said, hey, man, I'll ride down here with me. I want you to meet somebody. Okay, so I rode down. And um, I met this dude named Juan, and Juan, as he's walking up, he didn't have any arms. He didn't, he's missing this arm, and his, half of this arm was gone. And he had, his face was sliced open. It looked like somebody had just kind of stuck it back together, scarred all over the place. And he kind of walked up to me like this. You see, Juan, Juan was an alcoholic. Juan was a drunk. And Juan got wasted one night with his brother and something happened. They got in an argument. And his brother took a machete and chopped off Juan's arm. And he took it again and chopped off his other arm. And then as he was trying to kill him and he sliced, 
cut him all the way down here, left him for dead. Left one there for dead. Now, look, if you know anything about Honduras, you know that if you don't have a way in that community, Pena Blanca, of, of doing some type of labor, you're going to end up on the street. You might die on the street. So here Juan was, mad. My buddy went up to Juan, and he told him about Jesus. And I'm sure Juan's first response was, yeah, yo, dude, whatever. I got way bigger troubles. But he was persistent, and he kept on, he kept on. And in that time, Juan started learning about this love that's beyond measure. And he accepted Christ. You know what Juan did? Juan forgave his brother. Juan forgave his brother. How's that possible? How did Juan walk up to his brother, limp up to him, and say, I forgive you? What I do know is that when he did that, God unleashed something miraculous. Juan's brother, over time, accepted that forgiveness. And when he heard about Jesus' love, he couldn't comprehend it. It freaked him out. I tried to kill my brother, man. I tried to kill my brother, man. I don't know. I look at him. He can't even work. I, what am I going to do, man? There ain't no way God loves me. I killed Christians. And I wrote a good portion of the Bible. Oh, man, look, 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 man. I got all this stuff going on in my head. I, I look, I, there ain't no way to... Hey, hey, hey looks at him and says, I forgive you because Jesus forgave me. See, that's the power of prayer. That's the power of allowing God to work into your life. Oh, how I wish y'all could come with me and you could hear the two of them stand up and give their testimony. Oh, I'd give anything if I could bring them here because it is a power that you can't comprehend. Good stuff. There's power in our prayers. Verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know what I love about this? Is after forever and ever, there's an exclamation point. So that tells me that when Paul was sitting there writing, he was like, oh man, oh man, because he is so big. We serve a God that is able. He can do more than you ever ask or even dream. Like That's why he was so excited. That's why he was so excited. And do you feel this? I mean, when, if you start reading this, man, if you start reading this, like all of a sudden, man, Paul's sitting there writing. He's like, I want to tell you all about Jesus, man. He can do this. And then you can feel his heart start swelling up. And he's like, breaks into this praise. And that's when he's like, God, amen. Your glory forever, forever. Glory in the church. Glory in Jesus. Glory in the Almighty forever and ever. See, that's why I can picture it. You know why he's super fired up? He's so pumped because God can do more in, in you than you can ever ask or imagine. And God can take the broken and make it whole. And God can take your filth and make it clean. And 
Paul got a glimpse of how wide and how deep and humongous this love is, and it rocked his world, man. It rocked his world. And he could think of nothing more than to tell his friends to go share this. I'm going to ask you this. You think Paul thought that 2,000 years later we'd be reading the letters that he, was, that he wrote? You think he thought about that? You see, God used immeasurably more than he could ever dream of. That's what he did. That's what he did. Why? Because God's faithful to his promises. Recognize what God offers you. Spend time in his word and get to know him. And and look, pray, pray. Prayer doesn't mean you sit there. You know what prayer can be? Opening your heart to God in stillness. In stillness. And then last, praise him. Why do we praise him? Because he is unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. One last story. Some of you were there. The next day after this happened in Honduras, we went to a prison. And they, uh, they asked me to bring a guitar that said I was going to go lead worship in a prison. Now, let me just tell you, let me see how I can say this. Um, their prisons, their prison system makes our prison system look like the rich call. Like, I would go in parchment and kick it before I spent the night over in that place. And I'm terrified of that pl- of, of parchment. I mean, I have dreams of not, you know, not have like that. You want to, anyway. But you know, so you know what they did? Heisel was there with me. We, we went back into this yard and, and you know, and over there, you know, over in parchment, if they take you, they put you in a, in a, like an area and they'll let you come up and somebody, you know, there's like a little room, a little divider thingy. Over there, they were like, oh, come on. They walked us out into the middle of the yard in front of all these inmates and left us. Like they didn't leave us with cops. They left us. And the only cop you would see would be sitting there, a dude with like an AK, you know, like, come on, bro, do something, you know. And, and you know, it was, uh, it was one of the craziest things that in my life, literally to this day, I've ever experienced because I didn't see a bunch of, I didn't see a bunch of people that were angry. I saw Jesus working in a prison system that I could not explain. And so I go back inside, right? I go inside and, there is, actually, I got called back inside, and Kathy Philippi was there. I don't know if you're here, Kathy, but they called me back in there, and they said, we need you to come pray and talk to this person. So I walked into this room, and there's this table. And they had brought this man in there. And I've never in my life seen anything like it. I've never seen anybody so defeated never forget, I turned the corner to walk in, and the first thing I saw was him. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was where I was going, but I remember thinking, wow, that dude is a literal shell of a person. He's hollow. I saw brokenness that, see, I had never seen. He had tried to kill himself just 24, 48 hours before. He tried to take his own life. There had been a prison fire in there, in that prison, and 
300 people got trapped in a concrete block, and they all burn up. And he had witnessed it. And he wanted to kill himself. He tried to kill himself. And so he sat down, and he knew nothing about Jesus. Nothing. And I remember grabbing his hands. My daughter Riley was there. We grabbed his hands, and I remember feeling how callous they were. It was like sandpaper. And I thought, what kind of life has this guy led? And as I sat there, I started listening as he sat there like this. Wouldn't even pick his head up. We started telling him about Jesus. We started telling him that this love is beyond measure. We started telling him that he's worthy. This is why. And we talked to him about the scriptures and we shared the Bible with him. And you know what happened? As he heard this, you literally felt something happening. It was tangible. And as we spent time with him and we shared who Jesus was and why he came, this man accepted that love. He accepted Christ. And when he did, I promise you this, and those of you that were there know, know this, something happened, and everyone felt lighter. We felt life come back into that man. Life. And he knew, see, he knew that God was going to use a broken down, worn out soul like him to, to do things beyond measure, things that he never dreamed. And you know, as he got up, we gave him some information. I'll never forget this. He got up and he walked away. We were back there. He walked away. And right as he got ready to walk through that door, he turned around and he smiled. He smiled. And he left. You see, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That, that guy didn't spend years and years and years trying to figure out this God thing and learn all this stuff. He simply recognized what was being offered to him, spent a little bit of time getting to know God, and then he fell on his face. He was so excited that he was going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. That's why Paul wrote the letter. That's why, for that reason, he knelt. You know, we're about to take communion. And if you're serving, I want to ask you just to come forward. Here's the deal. Listen. Right now, I know that there's those of you that are here that Jesus is knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door. And you know what? You may have accepted Christ years ago. Years ago. You just kind of veered off track. You may not know who he is, but I promise you this, and you know this in your gut, you know this, that he's knocking. And I'm asking you to open the door. I'm asking you not to miss the opportunity. I'm asking you to walk out of the room with a smile.
because that's Jesus. And I want you to know it. And for that reason, for that reason alone, I kneel. You know, as we take this bread and it's broken, we do this almost each week. But you know, Jesus sees, Jesus knows that we're taking communion. And see, what He said that night, what Jesus said that night, that before He was going to die in that room, was He said, hey, listen, my body's going to be broken. It's going to be broken for you. For you. And he said, you know what? My blood's going to be poured out and it's going to be poured out for, for you. And You know the old covenant, like the way that we used to have to take animals and, and kill them because God tells us the wages of sin is death and that death separates us from Him? Well, you know what? That's, that's gone. That's gone. Because this is the new covenant. And See, my blood's going to pour out. And they were... They had to be freaking out because, see, they expected a king to come rule. Jesus was saying, I'm about to, my body's going to be broken. And when it is, I want you to, to take it and eat it and drink it and know, like know in your heart what I did for you because we have a new covenant. And when you believe this, you'll spend eternity in paradise with me. You know what? Can you... Can you picture him in here right now? And him saying, you know what? The craziness that you think is going on inside. Like, I, I, I got that. I got that. You know, that, that person you cheated on? I got that. The friend you screwed over? I, I got that. The porn over here? Hey, I got that. The grossness you feel inside? I got that of this. The shame that you feel, I got that. Because I was nailed on a cross and it's already been done. And all you got to do is accept it. Saved by grace, not by works. So I want to ask you, when you come forward and take communion, do not miss the opportunity to open the door.